Welcome to episode 20 of the PensCast. Lucas Wester here with you as always. It is August 23rd, 2023, Wednesday. It is hump day, am I right? So today I'm going to try to do a little bit of a um, season preview episode. I'm going to do probably in the next coming weeks a uh, bigger, more collaborative season preview uh, with some other creators as well. But for this episode, I wanted to get my own uh, takes, expectations, goals for the team out of the way just in one episode. Uh, Try not to make it too long either. But before that, there are a few things I'd like to discuss that are in the news uh, in regards to the NHL uh, before we get into all the preview stuff. Uh, So actually, just about an hour before I started recording, the NHL... Uh, tweeted, um, actually this was NHL.com's Twitter account, tweeted the following. The NHL and NHLPA are in discussions to to create an international competition for 2025 that would start a rotation of events, including a return to the Olympics in 2026. Now the 2026 Winter Olympics will be in Milan, Italy. Milan? Milano? Whatever. Um... And so that's pretty exciting. We haven't had NHL players in the Olymp- in the Winter Olympics since 2014, and even then it was a uh, pretty pretty mid affair. But everyone remembers the 2010 Olympics, Vancouver, um, Crosby Golden Goal, obviously Canada won uh, again. In that U.S. Canada gold medal game was just insane. It was a great tournament, all like overall. Uh, and that it looks like we may be going back. We might be seeing NHL players back in the Olympics. And the you know the more quieter news in that tweet is that they're looking to make in a competition for 2025. And obviously there were a lot of opinions on the World Cup of Hockey as it was uh, in 2016, I believe it was 2016, 2017 when they did the World Cup of Hockey in Toronto. But personally, I really, really enjoyed that tournament. They had some preliminary uh, round games at in Pittsburgh at PPG Paints Arena. And I went to those games. We had to see uh, Canada-Russia. So the opening faceoff was Malkin-Crosby. And uh, I think the other game was Team North America against Czech Republic. At the time, it was called the Czech Republic. Um So that was a really good tournament. Obviously, a lot of people didn't like it because it was gimmicky. They didn't have every country represented. There was a team Europe, which was just a bunch of random European teams that weren't Russia or uh, the Czech Republic, which is kind of odd. Um, If they do something like that again, hopefully there's enough of a talent pool now where they can have more countries represented. That'd be really nice. Um, I mean, if you look over the past decade, a lot of countries... uh, in Europe, have expanded their hockey uh, presence in the NHL. The biggest one is Germany. People think of, can think of Germany. I think they are getting to a point where they can represent themselves uh, competitively. I think they won the World Juniors a few years ago, or at least got a medal. Uh, so they're all, or maybe it was the World Champion uh, World Championships. I'm not sure, but they're getting they're getting better. The Slovakian team has a lot of young talent that's going to be up and coming probably by the time that they have those Olympics and the uh, whatever the other international competition is. So this is great news for hockey fans. 
obviously. Uh, international competition, best on best, is it's fantastic. And it's not the same without the NHL players. So the fact that the league and the union is actually sitting down and looking to you know, achieve something like that, that's very promising. And hopefully it doesn't fall you know, by the wayside. Hopefully it actually becomes reality. And we'll be able to have some international competition soon. 2025, I know it sounds far away, but it is August 2023 right now. So in 16 months, it'll be 2025. And, and it'll, they'll probably try to keep that international tournament early in the year, around the same time the Olympics would be, like on, you know, off Olympic years. So I'd think like the January, February area, like they did, I think that's, no, they did the World Cup in September before the season starts. But um, they've done in-season, you know, things like that before. So maybe around the All-Star break, instead of in lieu of an All-Star game, maybe they do a best-on-best international thing. Um, But either way, if you can get NHL players to represent their countries, it's so exciting. And we've gone almost an entire generation of players without seeing that. When Crosby won, uh, you know, gold for Canada back in 2010, he was four seasons into his NHL career. Now he's, what, 36, 37. Um, You know, like we we should have, we were robbed of a lot of years of really good international hockey. And hopefully we can uh, start getting guys like Matthews, McDavid, uh, the entire young group, get them to represent their countries. Because during the World Cup, those guys were all so young, they were representing Team North America. They were on the under-23 team. Uh, which was super exciting. It was an awesome team to follow. I still have Team North America merchandise I wear. I have a hat. I have like a shirt. Loved that team, but it was goofy. And it wasn't real international best on best. I want to see Matthews, Kachuk, all those young American players, uh, Adam Fox. I want to see all of them representing the United States. And I want to see McDavid, uh, McKinnon, all those guys representing Canada. You know, it, it's... It's going to be a great uh, tournament if it comes to be, and those guys deserve to, you know, represent their countries at least a few times. I understand why the league doesn't like it because there's such a risk factor. I get it, but grow the game. Think bigger than just your individual product that you have. Grow the game, and you'll have more fans that'll watch and buy merchandise for the NHL players. Trust me, that will happen. So that's the biggest news that came out today. Um, and also, there's a lot of news coming up because I think, uh, I don't know if we're, where it's happening, but I know um, the 32 Thoughts guys, uh, Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman, have been doing a bunch of interviews today. I think they may be over in Europe doing their European player tour. And there's news about William Nylander coming out, um, Elias Pettersson, a few others. Um, Nylander's obviously said he's not in a rush for a contract. He's a pending UFA um, at the end of the season. Um, should be interesting. And, you know, now anything Leaf-related has to become Penguin-related because Kyle Dubas is now in charge of the Penguins. So maybe there's some connection there. Not going to start that rumor, though. There's n- probably not enough money to make that happen anyways. Speaking of money and signings the Penguins need to make next season, next offseason, uh, some comparable to Jake Gensel. Some comparable contract has been signed, kind of. But yeah, I think it was yesterday, the Tampa Bay Lightning signed Brandon Hagel to an eight-year contract extension 
worth $6.5 million per year, and it's effective next season. The 24-25 season is when it starts, and it goes until the 2031-2032 season. Brandon Hagel is 24, and he was acquired from the Blackhawks uh, to the Tampa Bay Lightning, obviously, uh, two seasons ago at the deadline, and it was a bit of a surprise because the Tampa Bay Lightning gave up two first-round picks for Brandon Hagel. And it was, it, as, as well as Taylor Radish and Boris Kachuk, who at the time were still young players who had a little had some potential to them. I, they still do. Um, but nonetheless, Brandon Hagel is the newest uh, long-term commitment of Julian Brisebois and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, like I said, 24 years old. And if you're trying to compare this to Jake Gensel's contract, which I am, uh, Gensel's 28. Eight, and he will be 29 uh, on October 6th. So whenever he signs his deal, he'll be 29. Brandon Hagel still is, uh, he turns 25 actually at the end of this week. So you could say this contract starts when he's 26 and Gensel's will start when he's 29. So there's a gap there, definitely a gap there. But if you look at the numbers, it's kind of crazy that Brandon Hagel got eight years. Now, Analytically, from what I've seen online from guys like Jay Fresh and Evolving uh, Evolving Hockey, Brandon Hagel is analytically very good, and he does contribute a lot uh, offensively. I think his defensive numbers were pretty good too. But on the surface, um, if you're going like if this was an arbitration hearing and you're looking at just like surface level stats, he's not. I don't think he's worth what he got. Let's go. Um, he had his first full season in Tampa last this past season, eighty-one games. He had thirty goals, thirty-four assists, sixty-four points. That was by far his best offensive season of his career. You go back to season before, where he played fifty-five games for the Blackhawks, and then twenty-two for Tampa. When he was with the Blackhawks, he had twenty-one goals, sixteen assists, thirty-seven points. And in twenty-two games with Tampa in the regular season, he had four goals, three assists, seven points. So if you're keeping track, that's 25 goals, 19 assists, and 44 points for the Lightning uh, forward. And in the playoffs of that season, the 21-22 season, he played 23 games with Tampa Bay. And in 23 games, he only got two goals, four assists, uh, six points. Last year, um, in the first round against Toronto, he played six games for the Lightning, getting one goal, four assists, five points. So a lot better point production rate last playoff compared to the season before but still six points in 23 games is um, not great especially for a guy who they paid so much for at that very deadline now Jake Gensel offensively produces at a much much better rate than Brandon Hagel but granted he is older so he had he's more veteran he's a lot more experience should be noted, Brandon Hagel has uh, he just played his uh, 200th game in the NHL. He has 211 games played at the NHL level. Jake Gensel, on the other hand, has played over double that, 430, uh, 453 excuse me, uh, games played for Gensel. Now, if you were just comparing the past two seasons, like I said, 21-22, he, he, he scored a combined 25 goals, Hagel, then 30 the uh, this most past uh, most previous season. And then you look at Jake Gensel, who scored 40 in 21-22, and then 36-22-23. But beyond goals, um, 
Jake Gensel is a lot closer to being a point-per-game player over the course of his career than Brandon Hagel. Gensel has 414 career points in 453 games. Hagel, um, in 211 games played, 132 points. Um, different players, but similar style. I think Hagel's probably better defensively than Gensel is. And I still think there's better uh, comps for a Jake Gensel contract than Brandon Hagel because they're in, they're in a little bit of a different situation. You're buying up... Uh, you know, more youthful years when you're signing Hagel to an eight-year deal than if you were to sign Gensel to an eight-year deal. Uh, the the one I used as the best uh, baseline actually was the Alex DeBrinkit deal because he also is closer in age to Gensel um, than Brandon Hagel is. He will be 26 in December. He's 25 now. And he signed a four-year deal after being dealt to the Red Wings from Ottawa and he's just a hair under $8 million. He's $7.875 million for the next four seasons. And he that will take him to age 30, I believe. Yeah, he'll take him to his age 30 season where he will then be an unrestricted free agent. Uh, whereas Jake Gensel, he is on his final year. When he hits the open market uh, next July, he will be 29. So... Again, I'm, there's still not a perfect com uh, comparable for Jake Gensel. I'd say another one that you could possibly look at is William Nylander, but Nylander himself hasn't signed his deal yet. And from all, everything we've heard in regards to that contract, it, it sounds like it's going to be a lot. He, there have been rumors that he's asking for in the neighborhood of uh, you know double digits, $10 million plus. And if you look at him, his career actually does line up more so with Gensel than the previous two. He is 27, and when he signs, uh, or I guess when he's scheduled to hit the open market next July, he'll be 28 years old. He last season had 87 points in 82 games, including 40 goals, the first time he hit 40 goals uh, in a season. He has scored 30 goals tw uh, three times sorry, in his career. And Jake Gensel has hit that mark also three times, but he scored had uh, two 40 goal seasons, whereas Nylander's only scored uh, that that one time. In 521 games played for Nylander, he has 430 points scored. 177, 177, excuse me, of those are goals, and uh, that's a pretty comparable rate to Gensel. He has played, uh, Nylander has played roughly 70 more games than uh, Gensel and has, has only about 16 more points. Gensel does lead in goals. He's more of a goal scorer than Nylander, a more pure goal scorer than Nylander. Uh, whereas Nylander, for the better part of his career, was more of a setup man and didn't uh, take as many shots. But now, uh, especially last season, Nylander was way more willing to take uh, the puck himself and shoot it. And um, obviously that worked really well for him. So, I think once the knee, I don't. It doesn't sound like there's a rush for Nylander to be signed, at least on his end. I think the Maple Leafs would be smart to get that done sooner rather than later, because they also have to deal with Austin Matthews, which is that's not a comparable to Gensel at all. He's in his own tier of what he's going to get, given his age. He plays center, and he's a you know Hart Trophy winner. So he's very much not the, the only the only comparable tier wise to Matthews would be a McKinnon-McDavid, like that tier. 
so you don't have to worry about um, that uh, affecting Jake Gensel at all. But interesting nonetheless. So I hope, I'm assuming that there is movement there. I actually wrote an article on Pro Sports Fans earlier in the summer about why Kyle Dubas really does need to prioritize a Jake Gensel extension because of how important he is, how he can help bridge the gap between generations of Penguins hockey. And I think after the Latang, Malkin, Crosby, and even Carlson now era ends, Gensel can still be a guy who brings fans to the arena. He's still going to score goals. His entire career, ever since he got called up to Pittsburgh, he has done nothing but produce. He is a goal-scoring machine. And I think that given, uh, you know, if he's given an opportunity during those down years to be like the top guy, the top go-to goal scorer, you know, setup man, everything, that he's going to put up crazy numbers. I don't think it hurts him that he plays with uh, Sidney Crosby. I'm sure that that uh, helps him. As, uh, but but on his own, he's still a play driver. And he's a great player. And um, yeah, I think that the Penguins and Kyle Dubas really do need to get that locked up soon. Because when that Nylander number comes in, I have a feeling it's just going to increase the price of Jake Gensel. Um, yeah, so way to make a Brandon Hagel uh, contract extension about Jake Gensel, huh? Uh, anyways, I'm going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, I'm going to do my uh, preseason-ish preview, my expectations, like I said, the goals. I'll go through some uh, pl- uh, point projections for some certain players, and um, just overall thoughts on the season. So we'll be right back after this short break. New customers, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. Bet just $5 to score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, in West Virginia, gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. All games regulated by West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly. In partnership with Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races in Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Max bet $50. 10-plus leg require for 100% boost eligibility. Wagering and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash baseball terms. Even if you're not going on vacation, summer's all about the vacation state of mind. Whether I want to listen to Swedish House Mafia on repeat or just need to retreat inside my own head for a bit, I love creating my own summer soundtrack by popping in my Raycon wireless earbuds. There's so much going on all summer. Sometimes you need some upbeat music to pump you up before you see people or stay calm with some guided meditation. Right now, I'm listening to Paradise Again, the live album by Swedish House Mafia, beautiful, beautiful music, and it sounds even better in Raycons. Let me tell you, Raycons are the best way to listen. You can use your earbud tap functions to toggle between three customizable sound profiles, noise isolation, and awareness mode. 
Raycons have a 32-hour battery life, including 8 hours of playtime, so you can listen to what you want, when you want, for a really long time. They come with custom gel tips that make them more comfortable for in-ear fit. They start at half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. And Raycons come with a 30-day happiness guarantee, so you really can't lose. Create your own soundtrack with Raycon right now. The Hockey Podcast Network or Penscast listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash THPN. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to save 15% off on Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. Welcome back. Now, let's get into it. What you're all here for. Let's, let's break it down. 2023-24 Penguins season preview. Let's roll. Okay, so first, how did we get here? Well, the Penguins last season finished 40, 31, and 11. 91 points. The threshold to get into the uh, last wildcard spot in the East was 92. The team that got that, the Florida Panthers, the eventual Eastern Conference champions. Unbelievable, really to look back on it but nonetheless the Pittsburgh Penguins are a different team than they were at the end of last season a very different team and before we get into what we can expect from the Penguins let's talk about the changes and how we got to this point and how different this team really is now than they were to uh to start the offseason so April 14th uh, was the day Ron Hextall and Brian Burke were both fired. Obviously, former general manager Hextall, former president of hockey operations Brian Burke. For about a month and a half, the Fenway Sports Group took time to go over their options and see who their leader was, who it was going to be at least. And there was ebbs and flows through that search, if you remember correctly, Um Matthew Darsh, who is an assistant in Tampa, was a name who was brought up very frequently uh, connected with the Penguins. Eric Tolsky, who is the assistant in Carolina, the Don Waddell. He's a name that many, many people in Penguins fandom, uh, and especially Penguins Twitter, really wanted. He's a very analytically inclined guy, very smart guy. Um, I, I found his LinkedIn page, ironically enough, once, and he he's a, he's a genius, the stuff he's done beyond hockey. He's a very, very smart individual, and people really wanted him to head up the Penguins. But from the beginning, it seemed like the, uh, the favorite, or at least the guy who Fenway was putting all their money and weight into, was really Kyle Dubas, who actually, at the time of the firing... Um, of Hextall and Burke, Dubas was not available. He was still the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and they were still in the playoffs, uh, actually winning their first round to the Tampa Bay Lightning and then subsequently losing to the Florida Panthers in the second round. But on June 1st, I believe, let me double-check that. I wrote an article actually outlining all of this, uh, the entire offseason in my preview uh, like a preview article, essentially. I believe it was June 1st. I uh, I can't find the date right now. But they do hire Kyle Dubas, and not to be the general manager. They fi- they hired him to be the president of hockey operations and the interim general manager. We'll get to that in a little bit. Dubas, at that press conference, 
promised to do everything in his power to keep the Penguins competitive as long as the core of superstars are still playing. Crosby, Malkin, Latang. at that point. That's who it was. And a few weeks went by in the NHL uh, entry draft. 2023 was upon us. And until that morning, there wasn't many uh, moves that have been made or many, many things that Dubas had done, which there's not really much to do other than re-sign a few you know, minor league guys during that time period. But earlier in the day of the first round of the draft, Kyle Dubas did make a splash. The Vegas Golden Knights were cap-strapped after winning the Stanley Cup and they needed money to re-sign the goalie who took them there, Aiden Hill, as well as their uh, top trade deadline acquisition, uh, Ivan Barbashev. So a casualty of that was forward Riley Smith, who was a top six forward for them from the moment he got there at um, you know the year their inaugural year in 2017, and he helped them get to the final during their first year. He really broke out. Um, he came over from Florida, obviously, but he's bounced around a bit in his career earlier. He was with Dallas. I believe he was drafted by Dallas, and he was a Bruin also. And then, obviously, went to Florida, and then Vegas, and now he's in Pittsburgh. The Penguins and Dubas acquired him for a third-round pick. That was the pick that they got for uh, Teddy Bluger at the deadline. So, essentially, Bluger, or I guess like a month or two of Bluger for Riley Smith, not too bad. Then, um, later that day, the Penguins held the 14th overall pick, and there were rumors about what the Penguins and Dubas would do with that pick. They could keep it and get probably the best prospect that the, the team has had since, I don't know, Derek Pouliot. Obviously, that didn't work out, but the highest pick they've had, at least since Derek Pouliot. Um there were rumors that they could move back in the draft and pick up some draft capital because Kyle Dubas in his time with Toronto always traded back. He always would take like a mid-round first pick and make it a later pick plus a second or a third, which is good asset management, but you are not getting the high-end names if, as if you, know, you stay where you were. The third option, which was also highly rumored, kind of the week before, including the day of the draft, was to move it for a player. I mean, I think it was Rob Rossi of The Athletic who reported that the Penguins were initially interested in Noah Hannafin, and I think that even went back to uh, Ron Hextall and Brian Burke days. Noah Hannafin, Calgary Flame, one of the guys, I believe, who told them that he would not resign, and he did request a trade earlier this offseason. Yeah, I think he left-handed, you know, pretty, pretty good two-way defenseman. I think more defensive than anything. But, uh, you know, very good player. He was involved in a deal that sent him from Carolina shortly after being drafted to Calgary. I believe it was the Dougie Hamilton deal, but I could be wrong. Those teams have made a lot of deals with one another. Uh, Elias Lindholm was in one. Uh, Adam Fox was in one, ironically enough. That all may have been the same deal. I'm not 100%. But that was the, the rumor that was kind of rumored the week before. But day of, things got a little interesting, and this didn't really come out until after, but this did happen on the day. So the story goes that the Boston Bruins uh, were looking to get into the range that the Penguins were picking in, that mid-middle of the first round uh, region, so like the mid-teens, because the player that they met with actually on the draft floor at the draft day was Oliver Moore who eventually went to the Blackhawks at 19, I believe. 
and the Bruins really wanted to get Oliver Moore in the fold. And they had, at that time, the reigning Vesna Trophy winner in Linus Olmark, who has, I think, two more years left on his deal. And they also had, at the time, pending RFA, Jeremy Swayman. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while now, I was very, very big on them going after Jeremy Swayman to be their starter for this season and for moving forward. He's a very young, good goalie. And I didn't think that the Bruins would have money to re-sign him. They did get him on a one-year deal. I think it was it may have been through arbitration. I'm not sure. But um, he's still not fully you know, long-term committed in Boston. But, but Olmark was the one, actually, who was rumored to be on the chopping block to be dealt uh, for that first-round pick, a first-round pick. Now, it wasn't... I think it was Elliot Friedman of uh, 32 Thoughts who, who reported the story that it was a... Obviously, they are looking to trade Allmark for that first-round pick in that range. Now, the teams that were picking in that range, none of them really needed a goaltender other than Pittsburgh. So what I... The, the dots I connected was that the there would have been a deal for 14th overall for Linus Allmark. I don't know how great of a trade that would have been. Maybe in retrospect, we look we look at that if we're if that trade had been done and we're at this point in the offseason, we would look back and be like, man, that was a lot that they gave up for a guy who had one really, really, really good season. And maybe that's it. Maybe that was just a flash in the pan. Uh, I would have been willing, and I said this before, to give up 14th overall for Swayman because he's younger, he has a lot more you know, potential to him, and I think he has the ability to be a top 10, top 5 goalie down the line. And I think he's too good to be a backup or even be splitting time with Allmark in Boston. I think, I think he deserves to be a starter in his own right elsewhere. But nonetheless, the rumor would have been Allmark to Pittsburgh, didn't end up happening. Dubas holds on to the pick. And who do they pick with that uh, 14th overall? They get forward Braden Yeager, who is a center in the Western Hockey League. Uh, I've written and talked about him a lot. I do like that pick. There were higher projected players that were available. Gabe Perot, uh, Perrault, I think it's Perot. Um, he was available. He ended up going to the Rangers. Oliver Moore was one of those guys who was available. Zach Benson went one pick before the Penguins had. Um, he went to thir- he went thirteenth to the Sabers. I truly believe that if he was available at fourteen overall, they would have picked Benson over Jaeger. But what are you going to do? The this the Sabers weren't going to give up an oppor- give up the opportunity to pick uh, Benson. They snagged him up, and that's going to be a great player for them down the line. But Braden Jaeger, good pick, best prospect in the you know penguins cupboards bar none and i do believe in him but he's not going to be an immediate impact for the team he's still has some time he needs to develop probably stays in the western league for another year maybe two then get some time down in the a and eventually i'd say three years is probably a realistic timeline for him to be in pittsburgh if he's not dealt by then because right now he is probably one of their most valuable assets and there were rumors that he may be dealt, uh, you know, in a bigger deal, even an Eric Carlson deal. Didn't end up happening. I think the I think Dubas is going to want to hold on to him for a little bit. So that was draft day. There were later picks, obviously, that were made. Uh, some seem good, some seem bad. But it's you're it's two months removed from those uh, picks being made. 
your best case scenario is four, five years down the line, those guys are in the league. They're, but they're, it's such a shot in the dark, you have no idea. So I'm not even going to you know, make any analysis on those picks because they're very much just shots in the dark at this point. Fast forward a few days. July 1st is the day NHL free agency opens up. It's Canada Day. Very fun time. The day started, ironically enough, with Dubas's former team signing a former Penguin. The Leafs signed Ryan Reeves as the first contract of the day. I believe it was the night before that it seemed like that was pretty much set in stone. And it started a little quiet for the Penguins, but then Dubas got to cooking. He put on his apron and he said, let me cook. The biggest signing, uh, or biggest addition, I guess, of that day was defenseman Ryan Graves. Uh, formerly of the Devils, before that he was with the Avalanche. He was a New York Rangers draft pick once upon a time. He signed a six-year contract with the Penguins worth $4.5 million annually. Very good addition. I will get into that a little bit and what I expect out of him. But that was the biggest deal of the day for additions. But the biggest decision made is financially and, you know, impact-wise was instead of going to the trading block and looking to see one of the many goalies that was available, instead of going to the free agency market, seeing who was available, and there were many, Kyle Dubas decides to re-sign Tristan Jari to a five-year contract worth $5.375 million annually. Now, I have thoughts on that, but I'll get into that in a little later whenever we're going through expectations and everything. But the immediate reaction was negative. Penguin fans still, you know, two and almost three months after that signing happening are uncertain that that was the right decision. Um, but we'll see. We'll, we'll obviously have to see uh, how that works out. We'll get into that in a little bit later. But all the July 1st signings, um, well, not all of them, but there were more essentially than just Graves and Jari. Also, uh, veteran forward Lars Eller, was uh, was signed as well as Nolachari and Matt Nieto and at the time third goalie Alex Nedeljkovic we'll get into that a little in a little bit but before Dubas could take the uh stage I guess for his end of day press conference that he was gonna he had planned for the uh end of you know the start of free agency rumors started to spread that uh the Sharks were shopping Eric Carlson all right Carlson had requested a trade. He wants to compete for a Stanley Cup. And there were many teams that were listed uh, in the rumor, including the Penguins. Now, at the press conference, Dubas was asked about this rumor. And this was his quote. When there's a player like that who becomes available, especially with a core like this, I think it's incumbent on me to reach out and see if there's a fit for us. That's the way I viewed that entire situation. That was July 1st. Now, Penguins, Hurricanes, Kraken, Maple Leafs all were named in the report uh, for Eric Carlson. But slowly throughout the summer, as the summer went on, teams would fade away. The Maple Leafs never seemed like they made a ton of sense just financially. The Kraken started to fade away from the conversation as well until it got to the point where it was Carolina-Pittsburgh, if you remember correctly. carolina had a deal in place for Tony D'Angelo uh, from the Flyers. That never ended up coming to be. He got bought out, but then Carolina signed him. So at that point, it seemed inevitable that the Carlson-Penguins relationship 
it, it was it was going to become a thing. It was, it was the trade was going to happen. And then on August 6th, the wait was over and we got the deal. Eric Carlson, Rem Pitlick, Dylan Hamluk, and a 2026 third round pick are what Pittsburgh got. What did they give up? They gave a top 10 2024 first round pick protected uh, to the Sharks, as well as Mikael Granlin and Jan Ruda. They gave a 2025 second round pick, Jeff Petrie, Casey DeSmith, and Nathan Legere to the Canadians. Huge trade. Huge implications, bunch of contracts, moving hands there, massive. And more than just the, you know, specifics of the deal, but just what this means for the team, especially at the moment that the trade happened. Penguins fans have a very different outlook now after that trade on the season and the in the season's upcoming than they did beforehand. Because it means now that they're going for it. Last season it was dull. All throughout the fan base, things were, you know, very grim, thanks to the management of the uh, previous administration. But this trade raised confidence, raised expectations, raised excitement, and Penguins fans are now looking forward to hockey. Not just because it's hockey, but they're looking forward to good hockey. They're looking forward to competing for a Stanley Cup. Eric Carlson gives him that opportunity, but more than just him himself. It means that the team is serious about going for a cup. Whereas last year, the deals that were made were pitiful. They, they were made just to make moves. Look at Granlund. Look at the defensive trades that happened last offseason with Petrie, Ruda, in, Marino, Matheson, out. This is a legit a move that threads the needle, not just moving deck chairs on the Titanic. He got a reigning Norris Trophy winner, the first defenseman in three decades to score 100 points in a season. He got him for, honestly, not that much value. And he got rid of a lot of the bad value on this team, too. So just masterclass of a trade for Kyle Dubas. There's not, there hasn't been a manager since when Rutherford was cooking trade after trade that, you know, there's never been a moment where confidence in the Penguins front office is higher than it, it was right now. or It was at the moment during the trade and is right now. Penguin fans trust Kyle Dubas and the team he's built around him, including the guys he's brought in like Jason Spezza, Trevor Daly, including the people he's kept around and promoted like Amanda Kessel. He brought in Cam Sharon. The, the group that has been assembled of this front office, especially the moves this offseason, reveries confidence. Speaking of that, I talked about him being interim general manager the rumor was Brandon Pridham was the who is the AGM in Toronto, who was the uh, was the AGM during the Dubas era, still is now under Brad Tree Living. Uh, the rumor was is that Dubas was going to bring him in and promote him to be the general manager of the Penguins. Uh, didn't end up happening. I guess he's sticking around in Toronto at least for this season. And Dubas obviously named himself full time general manager for this season. But in between uh, the trade. And the beginning of free agency happening, Dubas made it, made some more depth signings to really bolster the organizational depth charts. The one I like the most is Andreas Janssen, who obviously he has a rapport with from Toronto. Also added during the offseason, forward Vinny Hinestroza, forward Redeem Zahorna comes back, defenseman Will Butcher, goaltender Magnus Helberg, all players with NHL experience who are now not going to be everyday players for the Penguins, but are in the cupboards for when there's injuries, 
Uh, you know, if there's trades where we move out some guys in the NHL, those are guys who can come in and, you know, fill a spot. You know, they might not be superstars, but they're guys who can play at the NHL level, which is more than you could say for some of the guys who played for the Penguins last season. No disrespect to Taylor Fadoon. So that's the offseason. There's still more things that can happen. There's been a rumor for the past week or two that Thomas Tatar is going to get a PTO. I'd really like that to happen. I don't know if the Penguins can make that happen, but we'll see. I still think there's a chance he goes to Buffalo, um, but he definitely deserves <clears throat> excuse me, an NHL contract. Phil Kessel still a free agent. Uh, Skill-wise, I think he'd be a okay bottom six scoring guy, but I think just uh, because of some personal things, I don't see him ever becoming a Penguin again, unfortunately. But um, So I, I want to go through the lines real quick. I'm going to go through the lines of the, the team on game 82 and then my projected lines for the you know opening night this year. Very, very different team. Basically, half the, the lineup is gone. So last season, game 82, this was the lineup. First line, Gensel, Crosby, Rust. Those guys are still there. Second line, Zucker, Malkin, Raquel. Zucker's gone. Third line, get a load of this. Danton Heinen, Ryan Paling. Mikael Granlund, all three are gone. The entire third line is, you know, X'd, gone, out of there. Fourth line, Drew O'Connor, Jeff Carter, Josh Archibald. Josh Archibald is gone. O'Connor resigned. Carter, I'm going to get to in what my, what my plan here for uh, him is in a second, but I do expect to see less of Jeff Carter this year than what we saw last year. <clears throat> Excuse me. Defensive pairings. Top one, Dumoulin Latang. Dumo's gone. Second pairing, Pedersen Petrie. Petrie's gone. Third pairing, Pierre Olivier Joseph, Yan Ruda. Yan Ruda is gone. Half the defensemen, half of the top six are gone from last season. Goaltenders, starter Tristan Jari, backup Casey DeSmith. Casey DeSmith is gone. If you're keeping track, five of the 12 forwards, gone. Half the defenders, gone. Half the goalies, gone. So nearly half the lineup. Now I'm going to go through my lineup for this year or my projected lineup for game one. And you tell me if you think it's better or not. Spoiler alert, it is. Now I did make a little bit of a uh, creative leap here where I swapped. I put Raquel on the first line and moved Russ to the second. But that's just a personal preference. I'm not Mike Sullivan. First line, Gensel, Crosby, Raquel. Still there. They're all there from last year. Second, oh, excuse me. Second line, Riley Smith, Evgeny Malkin, Brian Rust. Riley Smith is in for Zucker. That's kind of a wash, I'd say. I think they're very similar players. I think that Raquel, sorry, Riley Smith is uh, more versatile than Zucker was. Zucker was a big personality, obviously, and had a lot more to give than just his scoring. But he was a... Uh, you know, obviously a big part of the Stanley Cup winning team uh, Smith was in Vegas. And I expect him to, uh, you know, be a similar style player to Zucker. Just brings more to the table and was cheaper. Third line, Andreas Janssen, Lars Eller, Alex Nylander. I wanted to make, try to make that third line more of a scoring threat. Janssen has experience scoring. Nylander has the tools to score. He just needs to... You know, do better. Nylander obviously was a part of the team last year, 
but he didn't play game 82 and he wasn't on the third line. So he's, I guess, a new to the group there on that third line. But Andreas Janssen and Lars Eller, both new additions. Eller, I expect him to play PK minutes. I would like him to, I think he'd be a better option on the fourth line center, but there's not a better third line center option on this team right now than Lars Eller. So that's what you're kind of stuck with there. Fourth line, uh, O'Connor, Nolachari, Matt Nieto. Nolachari and Matt Nieto, obviously, July 1st signings. They're new. Achari, I really like. I think he's going to piss some players off, uh, you know, some opponents off. He's a chippy guy, but he can, you know, he's not going to score a ton of goals, but he can score. And he's very good defensively. I think he's a good PK option. Nieto also can play penalty kill. O'Connor, I think this is the season for him to either put up or shut up. He has the tools, the skill set, like Nylander, to score. I would really like to see him hit 10 goals this year. I'd really like to see him hit like the 25 point mark. But, you know, he he's been given a good enough of an opportunity over the past year or two with the Penguins where he needs to start producing more than what he has been. He was just given new a new contract. I believe he's two years, so cheap option for the Penguins, but he needs to actually start contributing more, um, in my opinion, to have any confidence in him being a everyday player down the line. Defensively, this is my favorite defensive group that the Penguins have had since you know the beginning of this Crosby Malkin era. Um, Pedersen Carlson is my first pair. Carlson's obviously the new guy there. Pedersen really, really showed last season how great he can be defensively. He can handle the elevated minutes. He's going to get some of Dumoulin's minutes that, you know, now that Dumoulin's gone. And I think, you know, you get a Swedish pairing, which isn't the important part, but I think it's cool nonetheless. But you have a guy who can play pure defense, really good, very responsible in his own end. And then you have a guy who is essentially a winger on defense, an Eric Carlson, who can just do everything offensively, you know, possible. He can pass, he can shoot, he can skate better than anybody on the ice, you know, besides maybe uh, his captain. So I I really like that pairing. I think there's the potential to be a very good pairing. And the diet version of that pairing is the second pair, which I have Ryan Graves with Chris Letang. The beautiful thing about the season is that likely over half, well, I mean, well over half of the time, there will be one of either Carlson or Latang on the ice. The third pair, which I have, which is POJ, and I have Ty Smith taking the sixth spot, I don't think they're going to get a ton of ice time. I assume that Joseph, uh, I don't know about Smith as much, but Joseph's probably going to get some PK time, uh, but... They're not gonna. You're not gonna see them as much because now you've guys Carlson and Latang who both have experience playing 25, 30 minutes a night. So we could really be in for a very, very high scoring team here in Pittsburgh. I really do enjoy that defensive grouping. Ty Smith, like like I said, kind of with O'Connor and Nylander, it's kind of time for him to put up. You know, put up or shut up. He was acquired for John Marino essentially. That was the trade. I know there was a pick involved too. But Ty Smith really should not have been in the AHL last season. The fact that he was is concerning to me. And he really needs to produce and prove that he can be an everyday NHL player. Or that trade is more atrocious than I thought. So hopefully in training camp and preseason, he proves that he's worth it. He proves that he's worth that sixth spot. Because if he's not it, 
then it's Chad Ruweedle every night. And no offense to Chad Ruweedle, I really like him as a player, and I think he's great in the role he's played over the past few years. But he should not be an 82-game player. Chad Ruweedle should be the guy who you throw in when there's injuries. I don't think he needs to be an everyday player. Ty Smith has the potential to be an everyday player. But I also think that just because you have two offensive dynamos in the top four in Carlson Latang, maybe Sullivan opts for the guy he trusts more in Rue Weedle. I'm not sure. But I still think it would be a disappointment to have Ty Smith not playing minimum 40, 50, 60 games a season. That would be a disappointment. But what else is new? It was a uh, Ron Hextel acquisition. Goaltending. This is this is the season of Tristan Jari. You know, it was the summer of George, but it's the it's the season of Tristan Jari. He cannot be as unavailable as he was this year. Uh, I'll get into you know my all my expectations for him in a little bit here, but he needs to be able to play minimum 50, 55 games starting for the Penguins. Nadelkovich was an interesting add. I liked him a lot as the third guy. Now that he's the second guy, I'm a little more concerned. As much as I talked crap on uh, Casey DeSmith, I do think he's a more reliable NHL goaltender than Alex Nadelkovich. But Nadelkovich was a Calder finalist just a few years ago. You know, he played great in a great system, in that defensive system for Carolina. He got exposed in Detroit. But it's kind of like going from living in a gold palace to a jail cell. You know, when you are playing goaltender for the Carolina Hurricanes, your life is very, very, not easy, but easier. Detroit, other than Mo Sider, I hate their defensive group. I don't, I think it's just a bunch of guys being overpaid who they all are guys who like came up uh, for, for a con- new contract after their best season cashed in and now are you know just mid or or bad in some cases um so he got exposed in that situation i would really like to see him uh how or i'd like to see how nadelkovich can go in the penguin system it's going to be different i think it's going to be somewhere in between carolina and detroit um but we'll get into i'll get into all that expectations here in a second i want to go over some numbers first uh, goals four for the Penguins last season. They ranked 17th in the NHL at 262, which was 3.19 goals per game. I this is going to improve. They're not going to be 17th anymore. They're going to be a you know top half, hopefully top 10 team in goals four. And here's my reasoning. Obviously, they made a ton of additions. Bottom six, basically entirely new. Those guys aren't going to be scoring a ton of goals. Hopefully Nylander can break out a little bit. I'd really like to see him get some, you know, better numbers. And like I said, O'Connor too. But if you just want to do a one-for-one swap, it's going to be a little different because their ice time, their deployment is going to be different. But if you're you're essentially replacing Jeff Petrie with Eric Carlson. So here's just to replace that one-for-one swap, let's go over their numbers. Petrie also did get power play two-time not power play one like Carlson's going to get. So there is that. But it even even so, it's unbelievable. Jeff Petrie, in 61 games last season, five goals, 26 assists, 31 points. 
Carlson's coming off a season where he scored 25 goals, 76 assists for 101 points. That is 70 additional points. That is 20 more goals. That's 50 more assists. The Penguins are going to score more just from that addition alone. I think I think there's going to be you know more than just that, but like that alone gets you a lot more goals. And Carlson did that playing with the Sharks, a team that other than Logan Couture and uh, Thomas Hurdle had nobody last year. They traded Timo Meyer. And Carlson still put up 100 points on defense. I don't think people are understanding how insane that feat was. That's the kind of thing that if you look back at and you see a defenseman during the, you know, Gretzky Oilers, you're like, okay, that makes sense because he was playing with that. You know, something like that would make sense to me. Carlson did this with the with last year's Sharks. If he is 90% of what he was last year, he can put up easy 90 points. Obviously, 90% of the points would be 90. But he is going to play with such better players. He's going to get ice time with Hall of Famers. The Penguins are are going to benefit from him. He's going to benefit from playing with the Penguins. And I truly do think that they're going to really get an offensive boost from him alone. Riley Smith and Jason Zucker... Their production is going to be a bit of a wash. Zucker scored more goals last season. But I still think that they're going to more or less be a wash. And then the bottom six guys, they don't look like they're going to be the best scorers. But they're it's, it's going to be better than it was last year because there was nothing last year. Danton Heinen, Ryan Paling, Mikhail Granlund, Jeff Carter, Josh Archibald. Those aren't scoring guys either. So at least you're improving on the defensive end and possibly on the offensive end. You don't really know yet. But we'll see. It can't be worse than it was last year, at least on the bottom six end of the ice. But goals for just based on the Carlson thing alone, the Penguins are going to catapult, in my opinion. Power play, same thing. Penguins were had the 14th best power play last season at 21.72%. And... I could talk about this for hours, but essentially the same thing I just discussed. You're potentially having four future Hall of Fame players on one power play unit. Carlson had a lot of five-on-five points last year, so he's not a power play merchant per se, but him at that quarterback position, having Latang down on the right side further, if Genny Malkin on his you know point on the, uh, on the right side of the ice so he can slap home... Uh, Goals, Crosby up the middle, and then Gensel up front on the on the right side. I or or left, whatever wherever they decide to put them at. You have four almost certain Hall of Famers and Jake Gensel on a top power play unit. They're and you're swapping out guys who cycled into that unit last year were Rust and Raquel. You're swapping in Carlson for them. Like it's a no-brainer that that is going to improve. 14th still wasn't bad last season, considering how bad the team did play, especially like in the middle, in the end of the season, where they really started blowing it. 14th power play wasn't that bad. They're going to improve just on him alone. 
just on having EK65 alone. Maybe top 10 wouldn't be bad. If you have the 11th best power play, 9th best power play, something like that, that's totally cool. Um, goals against the, t- the team ranked 18th last year with 264. That's 3.22 goals against per game. If you're keeping track, they had a negative two goals against differential last year. They they allowed two more goals than they scored, which on a team that featuring Sidney Crosby is insane. It's, it's absolutely unbelievable that they ever reached that mark. And I think a lot of that was catapulted by the moves that Ron Hextall made the offseason prior. Like I said, trading away Mike Matheson, John Marino, bringing in Jeff Petrie, Yan Ruta to replace them. Marino and Matheson were great last year. Like they like Matheson is really, really impressive with Montreal. Marino had great years in Pittsburgh, had one off year and dealt him. And it was probably the worst. It may, I've been saying this for multiple, but it may have been the worst decision in that Hextall era because Marino was a cost controlled for a long time, right-handed, young, defensive defenseman. You do not find that every day. They traded a sixth-round pick for his rights from Edmonton, and they hit the jackpot. And immediately, Ron Hextall hot-potatoed him to the Jersey Shore. Unbelievable. And they didn't recover from that. The team did not recover from that. that those two downgrades, as well as Brian Dumoulin falling off the, you know, the end of the earth, especially at the beginning of the season where he was atrocious, it created this perfect, perfect storm of, uh, you know, awful defensive play. And for the better part of the season, basically from game one to game 60, game 65, it, it plagued the team and it was awful. I think Ryan Graves is going to help this. Uh, Ryan Graves has, you know, been the defensive guy for a lot of good teams and a lot of good pairings. Uh, most recently, he was with Marino in New Jersey. They were a very defensive pair, uh, very responsible. When he was in Colorado, he spent some time with Cal McCarr, spent some time with Sam Gerrard. I don't love using the plus-minus stat to evaluate individuals because I know it's a flawed stat, but he's only played 302 NHL games, that's Ryan Graves, and he's a plus-84. So what that tells me is when he's on the ice, his team's able to maintain possession of the puck, or if they lose possession, they're able to get it quickly, and they're outscoring their opponents significantly at even strength. So Graves, that he's going to help the goals against, as well as Marcus Pedersen will receive more of those Brian Dumoulin uh, minutes. I think uh, Pedersen's going to be the top ice time defenseman on the left side, you know. So I have a good feeling that Pedersen in those elevated minutes that he's going to get now that Dumoulin's gone, is really going to shine defensively, more so than he did last year. He's going to become a solidified top-pairing left-handed defensive defenseman. And I, like I said, I think it's going to complement really well with Eric Carlson. But Pedersen is going to be the guy who helps eliminate defensive, uh, you know, the def- defensive zone moments and then shift it up the ice or he can... St- Get it over to Carlson and let him cook. I'm very, very confident that this team, goals against wise, is going to improve next season. Going off of that, the penalty kill. Super mid last year because they were 16th place out of 32. 79.09% on the penalty kill. 
Graves is going to help in that department. Pedersen getting more of those Dumoulin minutes, that's going to help in the department, as well as the forwards that they acquired during this offseason. Eller, Achari, Riley Smith even, Matt Nieto, all the guys who have experience killing penalties. I like that group of forwards on, on the penalty kill Excuse me, much more than I like the group that was killing penalties last uh, last season, including Carter, you know, or when Granlund was given opportunities last year. These guys are a lot better. I trust these guys on the PK a lot more than what the Penguins were rolling out last year. Now, goaltending. Everyone loves talking about goaltending. Now, like I said, I don't think Jari is the only question mark in net. I'm still not sold on on Alex Nedeljkovic. I've been, like I said, a critic of Casey DeSmith through and through. But overall, his stats last year in a role he wasn't expecting to play because he played a lot more games, I think, than he was expecting. He didn't. His numbers weren't terrible. But there were games where he would just be atro- atrocious. There are some games where he was pretty good and he'd steal a few games. Um, he's gone. He's in Montreal now. And now we have Nadalkovic. Nadalkovic, like I said, had his experience performing well. He's also from Parma, Ohio, not far from Pittsburgh. So maybe he'll feel a little more at home being in the, in this area. He spent a lot of time with the AHL, uh, Grand Rapid Griffins last season, where his stats began to improve after having a really bad stint with the Red Wings. Through his two years in Detroit, he had 74 appearances. He won just 25 games, so he won a third of his appearances. That's bad. That's really bad. Like I said before, I think the system he'll have in Pittsburgh will help him more than what he was experiencing in Detroit. But I'm still not sold. I'm not going to be sold until I see it on the ice for the first time. Hopefully, uh, no, not even then. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need a few games out of Nadalkovic to believe that he's legit. And I am worried that he's not legit, and then Dubas is going to have to scramble for an NHL-caliber backup uh, at some point in the season, and potentially an NHL-caliber starter if Jari's durability is anything like it was last year. Speaking of Jari's durability, after signing and through the summer, Jari has said that he claims to be 100% healthy and he's ready for the next five seasons in Pittsburgh he's a two-time NHL all-star and his skill has never been the issue it's his ability to be available to play healthy and play important games and by important games I don't just mean the playoffs although in eight career NHL playoff games he has two wins not good but even during the most recent playoff series for the Penguins, the Rangers series in 2022, he wasn't available until the seventh game. He became injured late in the season. That was, you know, a lot of, you know, curiosity and intrigue about how that even happened, how he became injured. And then DeSmith had to play down the stretch. And then DeSmith got injured in overtime of game one. Louis Domingue had to play six games of that series, five full games. And the Penguins' stars performed so well in that series until Crosby got knocked out too. But offensively, they were cooking. If they had an NHL caliber play uh, goaltender, they win that series in six, five. But they lost it in seven because they were playing 
uh, a third goalie for most of the season, uh, most of the series, and then they were playing an injured goalie in Game Seven. Uh, so there's a question mark about Jari's availability, and then his ability to play in those big games. Most recently, April 11th, 2023, is a date that Penguin fans will remember forever, and NHL fans should remember forever. It's Game 81 of the regular season for the Penguins. They are playing the Chicago Blackhawks in their second-to-last game, their final home game of the season. Through two periods, it's one nothing Chicago. Connor Murphy got a goal, uh, I think, halfway through the second. Jari looks pretty all right. He's not the reason the team's losing right now. You know, you expect to allow one goal in two periods in most games. You need to score more than that. That's the issue. Malkin evens it up about five minutes into the third period. Penguin fans are lit. They're like, oh, we're going to the playoffs. We got this. And then with a span of 26 seconds, Bobby Robinson and I believe it was Andreas Anthanasiu score two goals. Season's over. Season's done. Blackhawks would score two more empty netters. I think the Penguins scored at least one more goal. That's that's the year. Jari fumbled. And he was supposed to have been healthy at this point in the season. You know, he'd spent a ton of time rehabbing. He did play injured for a little bit. Uh, but you cannot blame all of his of his last season on injury. I'm sorry, you just can't. And if that's the case, then you shouldn't have signed him to a five-year deal. If he can't if he couldn't even play one game for you and pull his weight. Uh, you know, or w- whatever he needed to do to play at a f- fine level. If he was that injured, and it was, th- and it obviously was that important of a game, you let the Smith play, you let the healthy goalie play. So, uh, you know, suffice to say, I'm not that confident in Tristan Jari, and he's the biggest question mark of this Penguins team. I think every other position of this team, they've made improvements. There are still holes. Like I said, depth scoring is going to become an issue. Bottom six scoring is going to be a problem. If they can get one or two more guys in that, you know, place in the lineup who can score some goals, I'd be more confident. But the biggest question mark, where is number 35 on the back of his jersey? All that to say, what are my predictions for this season for the Penguins? They will be a playoff team. I realistically think they're going to be the first or second wild card. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the running possibly for that third Metro spot. I, I think Carolina and New Jersey have one and two, however order you want to go. I think they have that wrapped up. But I'm not as confident in the Rangers. I think they're a very good team. I think they are better than the Penguins, but they have experienced some loss. I don't love the additions that they've made this offseason. And they lost all those guys they acquired at the deadline. Um, Wheeler's in. I think he's going to be good for them. But to be honest with you, I don't think that they're better. And they and they have guys that really need to take a step. Lafreniere's the biggest one. Kako's another one. They have Those young guys really do need to take a step. And if they do that, then they'll run away with third or second in the Metro, uh, You know, make, making a run for second. But um, at this point, I'm not that con- I'm not as confident in the Rangers. I still think, you know, on paper they're better than the Penguins. But when, you know, the going gets tough, we'll see. I don't think the Islanders are better than this Penguins team. They made the playoffs last year. They were that first wild card, obviously a great team. I still don't think that they're they they haven't made any improvements 
they're still going to have a problem scoring. I thought they were going to get Vlad Tarasenko. They didn't do that. Buffalo is going to be better. So they're going to be in the running for one of those wildcard spots. Ottawa, I think, also is better. They're going to be in the running for the playoff spots. Florida barely got into the playoffs. They got in because, you know, the Penguins fumbled. But they're going to be without like their th- two or three top defenders for the first half of the season. I have a hard time seeing them recover from that. But if they do, if they sneak in, there'll be another team that people are going to bet on now. Even if they're the eighth seed in the East, they're going to uh, the team uh, fans are going to uh, believe in them now. Now that they've actually done it, um, you know, teams that did make it last season also higher up. I'm not as confident in Boston making it. Uh, Tampa is still going to make it, but I'm you know I think that they're kind of losing a lot of the uh, the depth that made them special. Toronto is going to be good. I think they're going to be fine. And like I said, Carolina, New Jersey, I trust, you know, fully to make the playoffs. They're, they're very good teams. But I do think Pittsburgh ends with one of those wild card spots. And, but they're a team that I think can get in and do some damage, like Florida. It's a Sidney Crosby team. He He's time and time again been able to prove that, you know, he turns it on in the playoffs. He has consistently been a playoff performer. There's guys in Penguins history you can look at that have been up and down in that regard. The biggest one that comes to mind, Marc-Andre Fleury. He was very much an up and down, you know, you never knew what you were going to get with him uh, when that time came, uh, come playoff time. So that's my expectations for this team. They'll they'll be one of those wildcard teams. I don't think that they're going to win the Metro or anything like that. Um, Point-wise, I think they're going to be somewhere around the... 95 point range in the standings. Crosby might be able to hit that century mark on his points. I think now having uh, more playing time with Carlson and Latang, And I think Malkin's going to benefit from that as well, because like I said, over half the time, one of Carlson or Latang will be on the ice. A good season for Jari, like I said, it would be 50, 55 games played. Um, what else am I looking at here? 9-10 save percentage. I think that's a good benchmark for him. I really hope that he's able to uh, stay there. But more than anything, games played. And above that, actually, healthy to start the playoffs. That's something that needs to be a huge check mark for Tristan Jari. The Penguins need him to be healthy in the uh, come you know playoff time, or else it's another wasted year of this core. You can't go into the playoffs again with a backup or a third as your top goaltender. It's not fair to Nadelkovich, not fair to Magnus Helberg or whoever is going in. You you need to have faith in your starter that he can be there game one, Stanley Cup playoffs, and he needs to be able to stay healthy through the entire gauntlet of that playoff run. That It's a concern, but it's what needs to happen. Um, I don't really know what to expect of Crystal Tang's numbers. Because he's been their their top offensive defenseman for all these years, he's put up you know top ten points you know a couple seasons uh, in terms of defensemen. So he obviously one of the greatest defensemen of our generation. But I'm not sure how his numbers are going to fare with Carlson. I don't know if he's going to improve or uh, go down a little bit because I think in the highest you know opportune moments at you know 5 on 5 or if they're losing you know with uh, a minute left i don't think latane i don't know if latane's getting put on the ice i think they're probably going with the carlson 
uh, pairing, and then maybe Latang's coming in as like the extra four, uh, extra player when they pull the goalie. I don't know, and obviously he's not going to be the one quarterbacking that power play anymore. It's going to be Eric Carlson, still going to be on that top power play, I assume, but you know, different position for him. He could benefit from having Carlson, but I also could see his numbers possibly going down. I, I'm very in- intrigued there, and I don't have a good read on how that's going to work exactly. Um, you know, Ra- uh, Raquel and Rust, I think their numbers could decrease a little bit because they're no longer going to be in the circulation for that top power play if everyone's healthy. You know, to start, to start the season maybe a little bit because Gensel's going to be out. But I think that they could, uh, they're going to be, you know, mainstays on that second power play unit. So I don't expect them to, uh, you know, to increase in points definitely. But they are going to uh, have a more solidified spot there on that second unit. Malkin, uh, I think he's going to be another one of those guys who benefits from the Carlson addition, just like uh, Crosby, like I mentioned. Um, I already talked about my expectations for those those bottom six younger guys. You know, Connor and Nylander, they need to step up. They need to hit some uh, better offensive numbers in order to stay in the you know crop of 12 forwards moving forward. I talked about Ty Smith. He needs to prove himself to be an everyday NHL player, in my opinion. One name I haven't mentioned much this episode is Jeff Carter. And that's because I expect him to be an extra forward if everything goes right. I think the Penguins prefer to have him as an extra forward than the, uh, you know, an everyday fourth line, third line, whatever uh, center. He's better, he's going to be better in that role when you don't see him every day. He's an older player. I don't think he can play 82 games anymore, to be perfectly honest, not to disrespect the guy. He's done a lot in his career. I just don't see him being an everyday player, and hopefully he's an extra guy, probably along with Rem Pitlick. I think Rem Pitlick will also be cycling in as well. If he's still with the uh, NHL team, they may end up moving him down if they make any moves like a Thomas Tatar move. So that's the season. I expect goals for goals against power play penalty kill to improve i think the team did get better there uh up and down the lineup kyle dubas did a wonderful job this offseason i'm not trying to be a homer but to be honest that's the, the team's better and I, th- I think objective uh you know analysis you know i think would also say that but that's where we're at right now we still have a couple more weeks till we got training camp and preseason starting up then october 10th that's 48 days away Opening night, PPG Paints Arena, first game of the NHL season, Eric Carlson's Penguin debut, Connor Bedard's NHL debut. It's going to be exciting. We have two more years left to Crosby on this contract, three more of Malkin, four, four more of Carlson. Penguins are in win-now mode, missing the playoffs this year, not an option. Expectations should be cup or bust. You can look at this team, this roster, and say that they're not as deep as a lot of other teams that are in that position. Carolina, New Jersey, to think of a few. You look out west, the team that just won the Cup, Vegas, a lot deeper than this Penguins team, obviously. But that's what Kyle Dubas is getting paid for. He has to make moves the rest of the season, including in season, to add to make this team a Cup or Bust team because that's where you're at right now. Like Contract-wise, age-wise, everything, this team has two, three years of comp- of actual competing left but you also have to take into consideration age curves you know who's to say that Mulkin 
Latang, God forbid Crosby or Carlson don't fall off in the next two years dramatically. So you need this is the best chance you're going to get this year. This this is it. It all it's all starts chipping away the further you get from right now. So Kyle Dubas, you know, do what you gotta do. Make some additions if you have to. You you risk futures for the chance to win now. And I, like I said, I think the Penguins are a team that can get in and do some damage. They're going to be a playoff team. I give it like an 89% chance I'm confident this team is going to make the playoffs. The problem is I don't think that they're built to win the cup. Moves do need to be made, more moves, so we'll see. And like I said, offseason's not over yet. It's still August 23rd, and this is the, the, the time where teams start signing some of those PTOs, those, you know, tryout deals. Peter Holland just signed one with Colorado, and he hasn't played in a few years. So we'll see if uh, Dubas brings anyone in that way. But I'm already over an hour, and I'm almost at an hour and a half. I'm an hour 16 into this episode, so I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. But that's my individual Penguin season preview. Like I said, playoff team, but the expectations need to be cup or bust. And I don't know if they're built for that right now, but they will be. They need to be. I'm leaving it there. If you made it this long, thank you for listening. Hopefully it doesn't sound like I'm just rambling. I, I do have an article up on uh, PSF right now, Pro Sports fans, talking about my 2023-24 Penguin season preview, where I basically say uh, everything I just said, but in written form. I also have another uh, article that I uh, would have liked to have talked about, but I ran out of time, where I talk about possible in-season additions that the Penguins can look to bolster that uh, bottom six depth that I think they need to do so bad. Spoiler alert, one of them is Jason Zucker. Give it a read if you have a chance over at Pro Sports Fans. I'm going to leave that there. Thank you so much for listening. Follow uh, PensCast on Twitter and Instagram at Pens underscore cast. Follow me on both of those at Lucas Wester as well. Uh, you know, give me give give us a rating on uh, you know Spotify, iTunes, whatever you listen to. Uh, give us a five star rating. I really appreciate it. Uh, that's all. Everybody have a good rest of your day, and we'll see you hopefully next week. If not, the following. See ya.